In his discussion on the art of preaching, Charles Spurgeon addresses a topic he finds curiously overlooked in books on homiletics, the importance of gaining and retaining the attention of the audience. Spurgeon argues that this subject should not be taken for granted, as it is crucial for effective communication from the pulpit. He likens the importance of audience attention to sugar in tea, suggesting that while some may assume it's a given element that permeates the entire discourse, it actually needs to be deliberately and thoughtfully incorporated. Without the audience's attention, Spurgeon contends, a sermon becomes mere word-spinning that accomplishes little. He emphasizes that capturing attention is not just an initial step, but must be sustained throughout the sermon for it to have a meaningful impact. In essence, Spurgeon accentuates the critical role of audience engagement in preaching, urging that it be given the attention it deserves in discussions and teachings on homiletics. Also, Spurgeon affirms the importance of capturing the attention of the congregation during sermons. He debates that the message of a sermon can only be effectively communicated if the audience is fully engaged. Spurgeon criticizes preachers who are indifferent to whether their message is being received, suggesting that such ministers would be better off not preaching at all. Moreover, he critiques those who seem to preach for themselves rather than their audience, questioning the point of delivering a sermon that doesn't engage the listeners. Spurgeon stresses that it's the preacher's responsibility to keep the audience, including children, attentive. He suggests using stories or parables to engage younger members of the congregation and even advocates non-verbal communication, like eye contact, to maintain attention. For Spurgeon, the act of preaching is a two-way street. The preacher must be compelling enough to command attention, and the congregation must be attentive to receive the message. He believes that if a preacher fails to capture attention, the fault lies with the preacher, not the audience. The overarching message is that for sermons to be effective in imparting spiritual truths, both the preacher and the congregation must be fully present and engaged. Furthermore, Spurgeon addresses the challenge ministers face in capturing the attention of their congregations. Spurgeon disputes that if a congregation is disinterested, the fault primarily lies with the minister, not the audience. He likens the minister to a fisherman, stating that it's the fisherman's duty to attract fish to the hook. If the congregation isn't engaged, the minister should look inward for solutions rather than blaming the audience. Spurgeon dismisses the idea of scolding the congregation for their lack of attention, saying that it's counterproductive. Instead, he suggests that ministers should make their sermons more engaging or awakening to capture attention. He acknowledges that for some in the congregation, attentiveness is not easy, either because they find the subject matter uninteresting or because they haven't yet felt a personal connection to the gospel. The message is clear. The onus is on the minister to make the sermon compelling enough to engage even those who may not initially see its relevance. Spurgeon asserts that the gospel message is too important to be delivered in a manner that fails to capture the attention and hearts of those in attendance. Therefore, ministers must strive to be effective communicators, ensuring that their sermons are not only doctrinally sound, but also engaging and relevant to their congregations. In addition, Spurgeon focuses on the challenge of truly engaging with spiritual matters during religious services, given the distractions of everyday life. Spurgeon acknowledges that many people come into the house of God burdened by worldly concerns. Whether it's a farmer worried about his crops, a merchant concerned about finances, or a tradesman thinking about debts, these daily anxieties often occupy the mind, even in a place meant for spiritual reflection. Spurgeon also notes that minor distractions, like the colours of ribbons 
or the sound of footsteps, can divert attention away from the sermon. He refers to these distractions as mental mosquitoes and suggests that they are orchestrated by Beelzebub, the god of flies, to disturb the spiritual feast. Spurgeon argues that it's the responsibility of the preacher to capture the congregation's attention and redirect it towards spiritual matters. The sermon must have enough leverage to lift people's thoughts from their earthly concerns and elevate them towards heavenly matters. In essence, Spurgeon is highlighting the struggle between the spiritual and the mundane, and indicating the role of the preacher in helping the congregation focus on the former, especially during the Sabbath, a day meant for spiritual rejuvenation. Further, Spurgeon maintains the importance of proper ventilation in places of worship. He contends that congregations often find it difficult to focus on the sermon or teachings because they are preoccupied with the discomfort caused by stale, recycled air. Spurgeon goes as far as to say that the next best thing to the grace of God for a preacher is oxygen. He criticizes the architectural designs of many chapels that do not allow for proper air circulation, comparing them to oriental dungeons where prisoners are expected to die slowly. He debates that such designs are not only uncomfortable, but also detrimental to the congregation's ability to receive spiritual messages. Besides, Spurgeon shares an anecdote about his own experience in a chapel with poor ventilation. Despite multiple attempts to convince his deacons to improve the air quality, no action was taken until someone mysteriously removed the upper panes of the windows, allowing fresh air to circulate. Spurgeon humorously suggests offering a reward for identifying this offender, implying that the act was beneficial. Overall, Spurgeon's message is clear. The physical environment in which spiritual teachings are delivered matters. Poor air quality not only affects the health of the congregation, but also their receptivity to spiritual guidance. Therefore, he urges that attention be paid to such mundane details as they can significantly impact the overall experience of worship. Additionally, Spurgeon discusses the issue of inattentiveness among congregants during sermons. He notes that people often attend chapel, but do not pay attention to the preacher. Instead, they are more interested in looking around at others who enter the chapel, causing distractions with their movements and noises. To address this, Spurgeon recounts an experience where he took a unique approach to capture his audience's attention. During one sermon, he offered to describe each person who entered the chapel so that the congregation could focus on him instead of turning their heads. He described one gentleman in detail, pointing out that this act was a way to maintain a show of decency. The congregation was shocked by his tactic, which led them to realize the absurdity of their own behavior. Spurgeon's method served as a wake-up call, effectively curing the congregation of their inattentiveness, much to the relief of their pastor. This anecdote serves as a critique of the lack of focus and decorum in religious settings, urging people to be more mindful and respectful. Next, Spurgeon reiterates the importance of delivering meaningful and impactful messages, particularly for ministers. He disputes that to capture and sustain the attention of an audience, one must offer something worth hearing. Spurgeon criticizes ministers who use excessive words that overshadow or even hide their actual thoughts, likening such verbosity to chaff with barely any substance or oats. He suggests that congregations will not remain engaged with mere words. They seek spiritual nourishment. Also, Spurgeon touches on the ethical dimension of preaching, implying that verbosity could be considered a form of theft as it robs the audience of valuable spiritual insights. He encourages preachers to offer solid doctrine from the divine word, likening it to manna fresh from the skies. 
He advocates for originality and freshness in delivering messages, cautioning against repetitive and uninspiring sermons. In summary, Spurgeon's central message is that the key to gaining attention is to provide content that is both meaningful and spiritually enriching. He urges ministers to rise to the occasion, stating that they are fully capable of delivering sermons that are so impactful that people would go to great lengths to hear them. By doing so, they will not only capture, but also sustain the attention and interest of their congregations. Moreover, Spurgeon repeats the importance of clarity and organisation in delivering sermons or any form of communication. He uses a vivid anecdote from his childhood to illustrate the dangers of muddled presentation. As a boy, he once went shopping and bought tea, mustard and rice, only to have them all mix into an awful mess after an impromptu chase after a pack of hounds. This experience taught him the value of packing up his subjects in a clear, organised manner, much like how items should be carefully packed in a basket. Spurgeon advocates for a structured approach to delivering sermons, sticking to a firstly, secondly and thirdly format, despite it being unfashionable. He argues that a well-organised sermon is easier for the audience to follow and remember. Furthermore, he stresses the importance of speaking plainly and adapting one's language to the audience's level of understanding. Whether speaking to the illiterate or the educated, the message should be accessible to all. Spurgeon believes that there is more merit in making complex ideas understandable to the less educated, as it is more challenging and aligns with the teachings of Jesus. In summary, Spurgeon's main points are that clarity and organisation are crucial in effective communication. He encourages speakers to present their ideas in a logical, straightforward manner, tailored to the understanding of their audience. By doing so, the speaker not only gains the ear of the listeners, but also their hearts. In addition, Spurgeon advises preachers on the importance of their manner of address to engage their audience effectively. He strongly discourages reading sermons verbatim from a manuscript. While acknowledging that some exceptional speakers, like Dr. Chalmers, have been successful in reading their sermons and still commanding attention, Spurgeon contends that this is not the ideal approach for most. He humorously notes that even the best-read sermons have a certain artificiality, tasting of paper, and thus failing to fully engage the audience. Spurgeon suggests that preachers should aim to speak without the aid of a manuscript, or at the very least, if they must read, they should strive to be the best readers possible to hold their audience's attention. The underlying message is that the effectiveness of a sermon is not just in its content, but also significantly influenced by the manner in which it is delivered. Further. Spurgeon advises preachers on the importance of preparation before delivering a sermon. He warns against extemporizing in the emphatic sense, which he defines as speaking without prior thought or preparation. According to Spurgeon, such an approach often results in delivering mere froth that lacks substance and depth. He debates that congregations deserve sermons that have been carefully considered, prayed over, and laboriously prepared. Spurgeon suggests that the ideal method is not to extemporize the content, but the words used to convey it. In other words, while the message should be well thought out in advance, the language can be spontaneous, allowing for a more natural and engaging delivery. This approach ensures that the sermon is both substantive and relatable, meeting the spiritual needs of the congregation. Spurgeon underlines that preachers should speak from their souls, offering insights that have been deeply contemplated. This, he believes, is the best way to truly connect with an audience and deliver a message that resonates. Besides, Spurgeon underscores the importance of a dynamic delivery to capture and sustain the audience's attention, 
He advises preachers to avoid monotony by varying their voice, speed and emphasis. Spurgeon suggests that a pleasing manner can greatly aid in conveying the message, as human nature craves variety. However, he also acknowledges that the substance of the sermon is crucial and can sometimes compensate for a less-than-perfect delivery. He cites historical figures like Richard Sibbs and Moses, who were not eloquent speakers, but were still able to command attention due to the weight of their message. Spurgeon disputes that while manner is not everything, it should not be neglected. He likens the delivery of a sermon to a royal procession. Just as a king should not ride in a dust cart, the profound truths of a sermon should not be delivered sloppily. If the preacher cannot improve their delivery, Spurgeon advises them to compensate by enriching the content of their sermons. Ultimately, he urges preachers to do their best in both manner and matter, so that the audience has no excuse to disengage. Additionally, Spurgeon warns against making the introduction too long or elaborate, likening it to building a large porch for a small house. He shares an anecdote about a Christian woman who lost her appetite for the sermon because the preacher, John Howe, took an hour just for the introduction. Also, Spurgeon criticizes editions of books where the introductory essay overshadows the main content, making it less likely for the reader to engage with the original work. Spurgeon suggests that the introduction should serve as a brief and striking notice that grabs attention, much like a town crier's announcement. It should set the stage for what's to come without overshadowing it. The introduction should not start at the highest point of tension or complexity, but it should be engaging enough to make the audience expect a fulfilling experience. The key is to be lively and engaging from the start, ensuring that the introduction serves as a stepping stone to the main content, rather than a barrier. Moreover, Spurgeon warns against the habit of unnecessary repetition. He recounts his experience of listening to a preacher who frequently repeated himself using phrases like, as I have already observed, or I repeat what I before remarked. Spurgeon argues that such repetition serves no purpose. If the original statement was impactful, there's no need to reiterate it, and if it was weak, repeating it only magnifies its inadequacy. He acknowledges that occasional repetition for emphasis can be effective, but cautions that making it a regular practice can be detrimental. Spurgeon suggests that constant repetition can lead to disengagement from the audience, as they may not pay attention the first time if they expect to hear the same thing again. Overall, he advocates for a more thoughtful and deliberate approach to preaching, one that respects the intelligence and attention of the audience. Furthermore, Spurgeon advises preachers on the art of sermonizing. He warns against the repetition of the same idea in different words, urging for freshness in each sentence. In addition, Spurgeon cautions against the tendency to turn sermons into exhaustive theological summaries, akin to the style of Dr. Gill. While he respects Dr. Gill's method for theological works or commentaries, he contends that it's not suitable for preaching. Spurgeon notes that sermons resembling theological summaries are more appropriate for classrooms than pulpits, as they fail to engage the public. He emphasizes that congregations seek not just bare bones of technical definition, but meat and flavor in sermons. Using the metaphor of meat versus bones, Spurgeon suggests that if preachers focus solely on technicalities and definitions, they risk losing their audience's interest and diluting the impact of their message. The key takeaway is the importance of balancing theological depth with accessibility and engagement in preaching. In addition, Spurgeon accentuates the importance of brevity in sermons to maintain the attention of the congregation. He debates that a sermon should not exceed 40 minutes to an hour, 
as going beyond this time can be seen as a breach of an unspoken moral contract between the preacher and the congregation. Spurgeon humorously cites the example of a farmer who complained that a long sermon interfered with his cow-milking schedule, suggesting that overly long sermons can be a form of cruelty or injustice to the audience. Further, he mentions that mothers in the congregation may become anxious about their homes and children if a sermon drags on too long. Spurgeon's advice for achieving brevity is to invest more time in preparation. He believes that well-prepared sermons are naturally shorter because they are more focused and to the point. On the contrary, longer sermons often affirm a lack of preparation or substance. Spurgeon concludes by stating that brevity is a virtue that can easily be attained, and that it not only helps in retaining the attention of the audience, but also brings credit to the preacher. Besides, in Spurgeon's view, the key to capturing and maintaining the attention of a congregation lies in their spiritual state, guided by the Spirit of God. Spurgeon disputes that when people are devout, prayerful, and earnest, they come to the house of God with the explicit intention of receiving a blessing. Such a congregation is not merely a passive audience, but an active participant in the spiritual exchange, arriving with a prayerful mindset and attentively listening to every word spoken from the pulpit. They have a hunger for the gospel, appreciating its divine wisdom as heavenly manner to nourish their souls. Spurgeon notes that his own congregation at the tabernacle exemplifies this ideal. They come with a sense of expectancy, which in turn makes it easier for him to preach and fulfill their spiritual needs. He suggests that this level of attentiveness is not just a function of the preacher's skill, but also of the congregation's spiritual disposition. If they were to listen to another preacher with the same level of spiritual readiness and expectation, they would likely find the experience equally fulfilling, although there may be exceptions. Overall, Spurgeon asserts the symbiotic relationship between a spiritually engaged congregation and an effective preacher. Additionally, in Spurgeon's view, a preacher who is new to a congregation should not expect immediate undivided attention or deep respect from the congregation. Such reverence is earned over time and is a result of the preacher's consistent character, prayers, and efforts to spiritually nourish the community. Spurgeon highlights that a preacher gains the invincible eloquence through a life that adds weight to his words. This long-sustained character eventually earns him not just the attention, but also the affectionate veneration of his congregation. Spurgeon believes that when a minister is genuinely committed to the spiritual well-being of his flock, and the congregation is equally eager for spiritual growth, a harmonious relationship will naturally develop between them. The key to this harmony is a mutual focus on the word of the Lord. In essence, Spurgeon argues that a preacher's influence and effectiveness are not just a matter of oratory skill, but are deeply rooted in the integrity and spiritual earnestness demonstrated over time. Next, in Spurgeon's view, the key to capturing an audience's attention is to be genuinely interested in your subject matter. He indicates that your own enthusiasm and dedication to the topic will naturally engage your listeners. Spurgeon suggests that the subject should be so important to you that you dedicate all your mental faculties to it. When the audience sees that you are fully engrossed in the topic, they too will become engrossed. The idea is that genuine interest is contagious. If you are passionate and invested in what you are saying, it's likely that your audience will be as well. Spurgeon's advice is not just to speak, but to speak with conviction and passion, as this is what truly engages people. Also, Spurgeon maintains the importance of both content and delivery in preaching. He contends that a preacher must not only have something meaningful to say, but must also convey it with genuine passion. 
Spurgeon criticizes preachers who lack conviction, suggesting that their lack of enthusiasm is a key reason why congregations are disengaged. He contrasts this with the heart of preaching, which involves putting one's soul into the message and speaking with earnestness, as if pleading for life itself. However, Spurgeon also warns that earnestness alone is not enough. A preacher must have a substantive message to share, otherwise the congregation will lose interest. He likens a preacher with nothing meaningful to say to a man beating a drum outside someone's door. Initially, people may be curious and come out to listen, but they will quickly lose interest if they find the noise is much ado about nothing. In summary, Spurgeon believes that effective preaching requires a balance of meaningful content and heartfelt delivery. The preacher must be both knowledgeable and passionate, capturing the congregation's attention not just through the force of their delivery, but also through the substance of their message. Moreover, Spurgeon points out the importance of using illustrations, similes, metaphors and anecdotes in sermons to engage the audience. He acknowledges that such illustrative elements have been used by great preachers, including Jesus Christ, to make complex ideas more accessible. However, Spurgeon warns against over-reliance on these storytelling techniques, particularly if they are cliched or overly familiar to the audience. He cites the experience of a German lady who converted from Lutheranism, who felt that the young preachers in her village relied too much on pretty little stories and lacked substantive doctrinal teaching. Spurgeon cautions that while stories can be captivating, they should not be the main focus of a sermon. He also advises against using worn-out or commonly known anecdotes, as they lose their impact and can even be counterproductive. Spurgeon suggests that preachers should aim for originality in their illustrations and should derive them naturally from the subject matter of the sermon. He likens illustrations to windows that let in light, but debates that the light is useless if there is nothing of substance for it to reveal. He concludes by stressing the need for real instruction and solid doctrine in sermons. Without these, even the most vivid illustrations will lose their appeal, leaving the audience yearning for spiritual nourishment. Furthermore, Spurgeon reiterates the importance of cultivating the surprise power in sermons to capture and maintain the audience's attention. Spurgeon disputes that predictability in sermons can lead to disengagement. Instead of sticking to conventional or expected phrases, he encourages varying the language to keep the audience on their toes. For example, rather than always following the statement, salvation is all of grace, with, and not by human merit, one could say, salvation is all of grace, self-righteousness has not a corner to hide its head in. Spurgeon cites Father Taylor, who used unexpected but vivid analogies to make his point. Taylor compared spiritual stagnation to a vessel on a tidal river that moves forward only to be pulled back by the tide, or said that a converted person would keep their bullocks out of their neighbor's corn, using everyday imagery to illustrate moral principles. Such surprising elements in a sermon keep the audience engaged and attentive, as they can't predict what will be said next. Spurgeon's own experience sitting by the calm Mediterranean Sea serves as a metaphor for the danger of monotony. Just as the gentle, predictable waves failed to capture his attention, so too will a sermon fail to engage an audience if it lacks elements of surprise. Therefore, Spurgeon advises preachers to occasionally employ this tactic to keep their audience in a state of proper expectancy. In addition, Spurgeon uses the metaphor of an unexpected wave from the sea to illustrate the importance of catching the attention of a congregation while preaching. Spurgeon recounts how he was lost in thought by the sea paying little attention to the waves at his feet, until a sudden large wave startled him and soaked him completely. 
This abrupt change jolted him into alertness. He draws a parallel to preaching, suggesting that to truly engage a congregation, a minister must deliver unexpected, impactful messages that awaken and astonish the listeners. Spurgeon criticizes ministers who themselves seem half asleep while delivering sermons, using tame phrases and hackneyed expressions that fail to engage the audience. He argues that such preachers should not be surprised when their congregations are equally disengaged or drowsy. For Spurgeon, the key to effective preaching lies in the ability to surprise and deeply move people, much like the unexpected wave that caught him off guard. He repeats that a sermon should not be a monotonous routine, but a dynamic experience that has the power to awaken and inspire. Further, Spurgeon underlines the power of a well-timed pause to capture and maintain an audience's attention. He likens a speaker to a coachman and the audience to passengers. If the coachman suddenly stops, the passengers will wake up and pay attention. Spurgeon uses the metaphor of a miller who falls asleep to the monotonous sound of his mill, but wakes up when the grinding stops, to illustrate the same point. He suggests that when an audience appears drowsy or inattentive, a speaker should change the pace, perhaps by singing or inviting others to pray. Spurgeon recounts an anecdote about Andrew Fuller, who called out his sleeping audience, urging them to wake up and give him a chance to benefit them. Spurgeon advises speakers to know when to pause and to use silence strategically. He concludes by saying that while speech is valuable, silence can be even more powerful, especially when an audience's attention is waning. The key takeaway is that a well-placed pause can serve as an arousing parenthesis of quietude, re-engaging the audience and making the speech more effective. Besides, Spurgeon underscores the importance of capturing and maintaining the audience's attention during a sermon. He contends that the key to this is making the audience feel personally invested in what is being said. Spurgeon notes that people are unlikely to lose focus when they believe that the information being presented has a direct impact on their lives. He uses the examples of a person expecting a legacy in a will and a prisoner whose life is at stake in court to illustrate that self-interest is a powerful motivator for attention. Therefore, Spurgeon advises preachers to focus on practical, urgent, and personal topics that directly relate to the lives of the congregation. By doing so, the preacher is more likely to secure an earnest and attentive audience. Additionally, Spurgeon focuses on the importance of minimizing distractions during religious or formal gatherings. Spurgeon debates that attendants or officials like deacons and sextons should avoid walking through the aisles for tasks such as adjusting lighting or opening windows. He believes that such activities are disruptive and should not be tolerated. Spurgeon suggests that these individuals should be kindly, yet firmly, asked to cease their movements so as to maintain the sanctity and focus of the event. The underlying message is that the atmosphere of a religious or solemn gathering is crucial and should not be compromised by unnecessary interruptions. Next, in Spurgeon's view, Late attendance and disturbances during congregational gatherings are detrimental to the spiritual experience and need to be addressed. He suggests that such disruptions, like the banging of pew doors or the sudden drop of a stick, are not just mere accidents, but could be the work of the devil aimed at distracting the congregation and the preacher. Spurgeon calls for a collective effort to minimize these disruptions, urging the community to be mindful of their actions in order to preserve the sanctity and effectiveness of the religious gathering. He believes that gentle reasoning and expostulation are the ways to remedy this issue, implying that the congregation has a shared responsibility to create an environment conducive to spiritual growth and understanding. Last but not least, 
Spurgeon emphasizes the importance of divine inspiration in preaching. He begins by accentuating a golden rule for capturing attention. Always say something worth hearing. However, he goes on to introduce a diamond rule, which is to be filled with the Spirit of God when speaking to people. According to Spurgeon, when a preacher is divinely inspired, the question of whether or not the audience pays attention becomes irrelevant. The preacher will naturally command attention because they are speaking God's truth. Spurgeon disputes that while it is important to perfect one's oratory skills and to be knowledgeable, the ultimate power in preaching comes from the Spirit of God. He insists that it is not by human might or skill that people are spiritually transformed. Rather, it is by the Spirit of God working through the preacher. He warns that without this divine power, a preacher is merely an entertainer, reaching the ears of the audience, but not their hearts. Spurgeon concludes by urging preachers to be conscious of their divine calling and to preach as if they will soon have to give an account of their work, aiming for it to glorify God. The essence of his message is that the most effective preaching is not just a product of human skill, but is divinely inspired. In conclusion, in Spurgeon's extensive discourse on the art of preaching, he delves into the often overlooked aspect of audience engagement. Spurgeon argues that capturing and retaining the audience's attention is crucial for effective communication from the pulpit. He criticizes preachers who are indifferent to their audience's engagement and those who preach for themselves rather than their congregation. Spurgeon offers practical advice, such as using stories, parables, and nonverbal cues like eye contact to maintain attention. Also, he affirms the importance of the physical environment, including proper ventilation in places of worship, as it affects the congregation's ability to focus. Moreover, Spurgeon advises preachers to deliver meaningful, organized, and impactful messages. He stresses the importance of preparation, clarity, and brevity cautioning against verbosity and unnecessary repetition. Furthermore, he discusses the use of illustrative elements like metaphors and anecdotes to make complex ideas more accessible while warning against their overuse. Spurgeon advocates for a dynamic delivery, suggesting that varying one's voice and speed can help maintain interest. He also asserts the power of well-timed pauses and the element of surprise in capturing attention. In addition, Spurgeon discusses the spiritual state of the congregation as a key factor in their attentiveness. He believes that a spiritually engaged congregation is more likely to be attentive, and that this level of engagement is a function of both the preacher's skill and the congregation's spiritual disposition. Further, Spurgeon highlights the importance of divine inspiration in preaching, stating that the ultimate power in effective preaching comes from the Spirit of God. Overall, Spurgeon's teachings on homiletics are comprehensive covering not just the content and delivery of sermons, but also the physical and spiritual environment in which they are delivered. He contends that for sermons to be effective, both the preacher and the congregation must be fully present and engaged, and that the onus for this primarily lies with the preacher 